everyone and welcome to the Ocean Impact Podcast, Pitchfest 2022 series where we chat to the oceanpreneurs and the founders behind the startups that were finalists in Pitchfest 2022. I'm one of your co-hosts, Amelia Helt, and I'm joined as always by the man, the myth, the legend, my co-host, Tim Silverwood. Hi, Tim. Episode 7. Wow, Amelia, seven down, three to go. This is very exciting. It is indeed. And, you know, today, all the way from Berlin, Germany, we have Christina Link, the co-founder and CEO of Clean Ocean Coatings, yet another female-run startup. We love to see it, don't we? Yeah, it was great. It's wonderful to see so many female faces on the pitch video that saw them succeed in being uh, recognised and shone a bright light on as a finalist for Pitchfest 2022. Yes, they were celebrated uh, as are all of our our finalists. And, you know, Tim, they're dealing here with a kind of a two-part problem. You know, it goes deeper than that. But when we think about ships in the ocean and biofouling, this problem of biofouling, and then, you know, the second part being that the current industry standard solution to this is, you know, these toxic anti-fouling coatings that are designed to erode. Hideous, hideous problems. And uh, like you mentioned there, this, this, the toxic nature of these materials, I mean, they're essentially designed to, to kill off and prevent any life from attaching to these ship hulls. And so therefore, once they erode and they become part of the ocean ecosystem, they continue to be these horrible substances. And obviously, the other big part of that is when you do have biofouling of ship hulls, you create increased drag, which has a ginormous carbon footprint attached to it. So welcome, Clean Ocean Coatings, to the picture with grand ambitions of coating the biggest container ships and vessels in the world with their remarkable solution, preventing the biofoul from happening and obviously making these ships streamlined and reducing their overall carbon footprint. Exactly. And I think, you know, I read a study recently that the emissions from shipping, the global greenhouse emissions are 3%, I think, for the shipping industry. That's as a whole. So obviously, you know, biofouling and all of the drag and all of these other issues really play into that number, that 3%. Um, And, you know, clean ocean coatings, it's a really fascinating solution. It's a smooth, hard, toxin-free, solvent-free coating, which you know, being less porous makes it incredibly hard for organisms like barnacles, etc. you know, to attach to the vessel. And most importantly, allowing them to be simply just wiped off the surface, which is incredible. You know, even those of us, you know, listening, we think back to people that we know that have boats. We know how hard this issue is. You certainly can't just wipe a barnacle off you know, a regular boat, even when it has these other coatings on them. So, you know, it's just designed to be a coating that's easy to clean. And rather than actually preventing the biofouling, like these toxic self-eroding coatings do, it makes it easy to remove. And when you apply these to big vessels in the ocean, you know, the flow-on effect from that is just massive. Yeah, and obviously it plays very neatly into other awesome startups that are addressing this problem from Another way, I mean, obviously Hullbot being a, uh, a highly recognised startup in Pitchfest 2022, um, but also startups like Eco Subsea and others who are actually targeting the shipping industry. So, you know, initially Hullbot are focusing more so on smaller vessels and being very much preventative, stopping the biofouling from happening in the first place. 
but you do have already a large industry of cleaning container ship hulls and servicing them. So when you combine clean ocean coatings with some robotic devices and unmanned vehicles that can go out there and clean these ship hulls, then you can end up with a really good scenario. And this ultimately leads to cost savings for the shipping companies. That, at the end of the day, is what's going to motivate a lot of these companies to, pardon the pun, jump ship and be proactive but this is this is the way forward, right? You've got to realise that you have a responsibility to reduce your carbon footprint, to reduce the transportation of invasive species, to prevent these, you know, self-eroding toxins from ending up in the ocean. So, again, this is a perfect little window into why we're so passionate about these ocean impact innovators, these stars, because they've figured out how to solve these problems. They just need the support to go out there and become the mainstream, to be the norm. Imagine in 10 years' time, all those ships around the world that transport 90% of the goods that we interact with every single day, imagine if they have all been proactively serviced with solutions like this so they don't have the problem that the current version does. Exactly right. And, you know, I think we see this throughout Pitchfest and some of our other programs, we see these solutions so often. The truth is when we help the ocean and we help the broader environment, we also help ourselves. And when I say that, I mean from, you know, a financial point of view or whatever it might be, making things more efficient. These are the things that really make industry change. And for them to change, we need these solutions that, you know, they're impacting the environment and doing good things for the ocean, but they have an impact on the bottom line. And as you said, Tim, that's what makes people adopt, and that is how we push industry. So it's just great to see, you know, these startups and these founders really doing their bit and and working out where these gaps are to push everything forward. And I agree, you know, how great if we could see in the future this being adopted broadly because we rely on the ocean so much, not just for food and other things, but also for transport and, uh, and all of these other things. That's it. And those beautiful, dreamy cargo ships of the future that are going to be powered by wind, not bunker oil, might also need a solution like clean ocean coating. So, yeah, let's all work together collectively to make sure the future is brighter and, uh, and more balanced for, for everyone, including all those beautiful critters who call Planet Ocean home. Exactly right. And with that, we will leave you to the episode. Please enjoy it. Let us know your thoughts as always. And uh, thanks, Tim. Thanks, guys. I'm so excited to have on the Ocean Impact podcast Pitchfest 2022 series, Christina Link, who's the co-founder and CEO of Clean Ocean Coatings. This is going to be a fascinating conversation. Christina, tuning in from Berlin in Germany on a very early morning. Hello. Hello. Good morning. So nice of you to join us and uh, thank you for a very strong application and a successful finalist position in the Ocean Impact Pitchfest 2022. For people listening in, can you tell us about clean ocean coatings, specifically the ocean challenge that you're trying to solve? Yes, thank you very much for giving us a platform and opportunity. So one of our biggest problems in the ocean or in shipping industry is biofouling. And biofouling naturally always will happen because life comes from water. So as soon as there's a surface submerged, growth will happen. And this growth can increase the fuel consumption up to 40%. And therefore, it is a very major economic problem. But on the other hand, of course, 
um, it is transporting invasive species. So it is a big problem. And to tackle this problem, the shipping industry uses toxic coatings. And they are designed in a way to erode over time leaching toxins and microplastic into the ocean. So end of life of a ship coating, 50% end up in the ocean and therefore in our sushi. This is huge. And some people out there might be learning about this problem for the first time. So much of the goods that travel across our globe, I believe it's something like 90% of the products that we interact with on a daily basis are traveling via ship. And ships naturally, as you've identified, have a huge problem with biofouling, which has a problem around invasive species transport. But the big one is the carbon footprint that is generated because of the drag created by the biofoul. Now, yeah, let's go a little bit further into how this problem is currently addressed. So you mentioned there the toxic nature of the solutions that are previously deployed. Just go a little bit deeper into this this hideous problem that is associated with these toxic materials and then tell us a little bit about what your solution is doing differently. Yeah, so this problem is as old as humankind is traveling to the sea. So humankind always tried to find a solution and since the 60s, we use these so-called self-eroding coatings. So it is a polymer matrix and um, biocides, very strong biocides. And yeah, designed in a way to 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 leach off and 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 erode off. So that the beginning biofouling is is taken off with the coating, because in the end nothing can really stop biofouling. And um, yeah, we're doing this since the '60s. Luckily, since 2008, the most poisonous one of the toxic substances is forbidden. This was uh, TBT. Tributalsin. This is already a, a very big one for the ocean ecosystem because this was really it was uh, it is considered the biggest uh, pollution to the like where the people have been aware of the biggest pollution we have done to any environment on purpose. So this tributalsin was was really hazardous, and so yeah, so the worst one is banned, and now the shipping industry realizes that all the other biocides don't work as well. So currently they're using uh, tons of copper. And um, uh, so since, yeah, around 10, 12 years now, they see nothing nothing really quite works as well as this really dangerous toxins. And so they are looking for other solutions as well. You mentioned there's the self-eroding part, which I assume is, is the intention that as it erodes, it takes away any of the biofoul which is accumulated, but is the second part the fact it's a biocide means it's a material that is toxic by nature and therefore creates this level of resistance to life actually growing on the material. Am, am I right in those two points? Yeah, I think it's it's tackling the, the problem from two sides, yeah. With the biocides, they try to prevent fouling overall, but since as soon as they are like a, a vessel is standing around, even the strongest biocides does not really stop biofouling. And then... They're the eroding nature of the coating like fulfills that place. So with just falling off the vessel, <laughs> the biofouling is falling off as well. Gosh, yeah. And I mean, I'd love to get a little bit of insight from you on you know the scale of the problem. I think the figure is 90,000 ships at any one time crossing the ocean. And I'm assuming that they have to be repainted and 
therefore sanded and scrubbed and cleaned before reapplication very regularly. So there must be the problem of what's happening at the ocean with the self-eroding materials, but also in the shipyards and in the ports when they're actually doing the application and doing the cleaning of those hulls. And I mean, I've got so many questions here, but even just the size of a cargo ship, I mean, how much of this material needs to be applied to a cargo ship? Well, yeah, currently 100,000 tonnes are applied per year. So a merchant vessel is usually in dry dock every five years, and that's when it gets a new coating. And um, yeah, it's very hazardous for the dockyard workers. And most of this work is done in Asia and uh, I've seen pictures where they even sleep underneath the vessels. It's sometimes even without protective clothing. It's. Uh, I was very surprised when I got into this business. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go into that question about how you got into this business. But yeah, maybe just give us the spiel around the solution that Clean Ocean Coatings have created and, and how it's so different to what's currently being used. Yeah, so we developed toxin-free hard coating which does not fall off. So um, our magic is a uniquely smooth surface, which is easy to clean. So instead of an eroding coating, we're using a hard coating. So it's rather called a foul release coating. And uh, we're completely toxin and solvent free. And because there are no solvents inside as well, we don't have micropores from evaporating solvents. And this makes for the uniquely smooth surface. So it's much harder for microorganisms to attach and even barnacles we can we can just wipe them off we don't prevent biofouling so um it is i guess if if you have idle times if 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 you don't go with the vessel every day you will definitely need some cleaning of course depending on how warm or cold the waters are you are in but um, yeah, we don't prevent growth. We just tackle it in a different way. I mean, Great. I think uh, even in, in this challenge already as well, there is another startup like Halbot already working on the cleaning solutions. Yeah, that's right. They were they were also recognized in the Pitchfest 2022. And I suppose theirs is a very proactive system, right? You need to be actually deploying the robot very regularly to sort of prevent the biofouling getting to that level where you need a stronger intervention. So yours, I suppose, is is similarly preventative and proactive because you're putting in that hard work to begin with to put this surface on, which it's sort of described as a, a bit of a ceramic polymer blend, right? So how can people at home imagine the feel or the touch of the surface once it's applied? I'm almost imagining it's one of those cooking pans that has that ceramic type edge as opposed to like a, a Teflon chemical one which releases nano and microplastics it's more like this hard ceramic am I sort of right in my thinking there yeah it, it rather is uh, like a tile yeah tile like fantastic so okay let's spoken quite a bit then I guess about the the existing way this problem is being addressed I think it's pretty safe to say we can identify why yours is so much better but there is some other stats, isn't there, around like how much cost savings there are when it's used, how much quicker it is to apply. These were some really strong points that you put forward in your pitch video. So maybe you want to talk a little bit about why your solution really is so much better. <laughs> yeah. Due to our uniquely smooth surface, we do have less friction. And so first modulation uh, indicates 6% fuel savings, uh, which is actually very massive when you go bunker for $5 million. And um, 
So currently we are validating these fuel savings together with our technical university here in a float channel. We're very excited about these trials. Yeah, I mean, I know that like with any industry that you're trying to disrupt, I'm imagining there's lots of headwinds to actually get down at the table to have these conversations and paint the picture of just what is possible. But I'm sure that when you do penetrate through those layers and you can show just the potential benefits here, there must be some early adopters and some very excited individuals that you're speaking to. Yeah, one would think so, right? Um, But the shipping industry is quite notorious for being sceptical and uh, not not so open to change because on the other hand i mean i i already talked uh, to someone from a very big cruise company and he was like yeah the last time i tried a non-toxic coating i had a damage of a couple of million because after three months i had to take this vessel out of operation and get to dry dock and code again so they are very risk averse and we need to bring a lot of proof to the table before they're going to try our coding, unfortunately. I mean, there, of course, there are innovative shipping owners and shipping companies that are really willing to pilot with us, but it will be a big challenge, especially as long as uh, these automated cleaning solutions are not ready, readily available. They do fear a lot that they have losses uh, in profits because the vessel is out of order. Very, very good points. Very good points. Okay, let's talk a a little bit more about you. Um, How did you come to be involved in this startup uh, and why? What what lights you up about it? Where's your, your passion for the ocean and the opportunity to really disrupt as we've identified an industry which is causing so much seemingly invisible damage? Yeah, uh, actually by accident a little bit. (laughs) Um, By training, I'm a, I'm a food scientist, so I do have a PhD in beverage science. But at a certain point in my career, I was wondering why I'm not happy. And it actually turned out that I would have much more loved to become a marine biologist than a food scientist. And um, so I stepped back and went looking around how I somehow as a food scientist, make my way into oceanography or marine biology or whatever. And so I was walking around on, on their conferences, <laughs> sneaked in there. <laughs> and uh, there I found um, my co-founder's former boss. And so she was presenting this solution there and she was telling me about the problem. And I was, I was so flabbergasted, like, what the hell are we doing for so many decades? It's like, I couldn't believe that we can be so stupid as a humankind. And then it's like, yeah, we do have this solution there. But somehow at the moment, it looks like it will be kept in the drawers. I'm like, this, you can't do this. You can't keep this in. The, we need to try this. And then COVID hit and it was um, several video calls before we could finally meet in person. And then I met my co-founder. Patricia, who was already working on the research projects for eight years. And um, in the middle of the, I think it was the second lockdown in Germany then, we thought like, oh, we give it a try. We go to our first accelerator and see what happens. I was Founder Institute in September 2020. And the rest is history. That's so great. So uh... A relatively new startup, but like you said, there's been some work being done on the actual solution for for quite some time. But 
it feels like now is the time the sun is shining and you've got some really exciting momentum. So how about you tell us a little bit more about that? What are some of your key achievements in the relatively short time frame that you've been in existence? Yeah, so we finalized our pre-seed round so we, and we are backed up by some government uh, funding. Uh, we grew the team now to seven, soon eight people. We got a lab where we can work in. We did our first uh, upscaling trials uh, for the spray application, uh, which actually showed us that uh, we need to like, we need to go back to the lab because this is actually our biggest challenge. So there are hiccups uh, there and some some phenomenons we have not seen while we were painting by hand, but now with more pressure and more temperature to the spray drying. So we're still finalizing the final formulation so we can finally spray whole vessels with our coating and go into the piloting phase. Awesome. Yeah, okay. This is a a fascinating process, right? You never know really what's going to be around that corner. You think you've got things all ticked off and it's working, it's functioning, and then you get a big old curveball with a, a new application process like that. Maybe that's a good little segue into talking about some of those challenges that you face in in building a startup or in trying to scale a solution like the one that you've developed. Oh, well, uh, where shall I start? <laughs> uh, I think like startup, especially a hardware, a chemistry hardware startup feels like a constant challenge. So first of all, um, our negotiations as well for the IP property was very, very tedious and lengthy, and especially during COVID, where they like the owners of this IP had to reorganize their whole business model to survive and stuff. So of course, this was not so important, but time for a startup was very important. So this was very lengthy and tedious, which almost break us. Then um, finding a laboratory. If you don't have the funding and the money that you can just build one for, I don't know, it's it's so freaking expensive to, to have a running laboratory, but due to safety and other reasons, laboratories are usually not rent out. Nobody will rent out a laboratory because of the risks, uh, because someone else is doing something in there. <laughs> and um, so it was really hard to find a place where we can work then. And... Yeah, I guess this has been the two major, like the, the really the really big ones. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so in overcoming those, obviously money must be a huge one because if you had the money, then you could invest in your own laboratory and you could overcome some of these obstacles. Yeah, where are you, I suppose, in the opportunities for the kinds of partners that can help you overcome those problems? Is it about universities and, and institutions is it about the industry itself like how how moving forward will you be able to overcome those obstacles and, and make sure you're you're well funded to, to scale the solution yeah it definitely needs more of these um, chemistry labs incubator labs like other incubators but uh, especially for for startups that need yeah laboratory equipment I see they are coming. There are like we are in one of those as well now right now in Berlin. It's called the Incu Lab, and it's getting bigger. So 
they are they are going to build that building uh, where you can just move in as a startup, but it's not there yet. I think in the Netherlands we have another big one, but we definitely need more of these opportunities because yeah, yeah, there are tons of accelerators out there for all the digital startups, but they're very focused on making money and revenue very soon within nine months, six months, nine months, latest a year. But a hardware startup um, takes longer much longer we do see this now as well there are so much like there's so many more unpredictables but which delay easily one month two months three months so you need two to three years to get going and um so far like it might change now that we have the the crisis at least here in europe uh it changes a little bit away from the fast money to sustainable money but in the time where we started, where I think it was a year with the highest investments in the startup industry, they were all looking for very fast money. And um, that was hard time for hardware. But it might change. I hope it changes now. Yeah, no, that's, that's a scenario we hear time and time again from those startups that we're interacting with, which is the vast majority who do have a hardware solution. They are often interacting with investors and these innovation ecosystems that are normally built around software and rapid returns and fast moving but you know you need to have that patience because the problems that we're solving are wicked complex problems that are going to require a great deal of hard work over many many years tell me a little bit about sort of what's happening around that ocean innovation ecosystem globally on biofouling. I've been seeing quite a bit in the last couple of years around specific startup challenges and incubators and VCs that are really focused on this this sort of this key challenge there. Tell us a little bit about your experience with those and what you sort of sense is going to be happening in the future around that. I do see that a lot is happening I don't know if I've not seen it before because I've not been so aware or if really the ocean decade helps as well. But we do see these uh, thousand ocean startups. I mean, we see your initiative. Uh, yeah, there was this biofouling innovation challenge initiated by Birgit Leoden from Toolspawn in, in Norway. And the EMU is very active as well. I mean, the EMU is the one, the organization that forbids TBT. So they are very aware of the problem, of course. And we do see as well, it is more and more topic on the trade fair. So there are solutions coming up, uh, like the ultrasound technologies. And so you have question marks in your eyes. So there's ultrasound solution that do ultrasound at, at niche areas. And, and this vibration is uh, inhibiting the, the biofouling. So this works very well in niche areas, but not on the whole hull yet. I know they're working on this as well, the ultrasound companies. So we do see, uh, I do see startups and companies coming up. I do see initiatives and organizations, but I think overall in, in the, in the, in the overall, um, society, I think there's still very little awareness about this. And as you mentioned, 90% of the of our goods are transported in this way. So somehow it affects us all. And especially if we still want to eat seafood, we are all affected. And, but yeah, uh, and I, I especially love this ocean, everything around Ocean Decade. I think this was a very good initiative. There's a lot coming around. 
Absolutely is. Um, yeah, I just think it's a, a massive growth area. And maybe that does start a lot with this increased literacy of the public around what is actually behind the goods and the services that they rely upon. And we're happy to play our role. And I think there's yeah, a big chance there for people to use storytelling and creative communications. And I guess that's a part of the Ocean Decade and various other initiatives to bring these silent, invisible problems to the front of mind for people all around the world. Because once you know it, you really can't unknow it and you feel a little bit mm-hmm. implicit in the problem because you're like, oh, my gosh, the goods that just travelled across the seas to me are intimately connected with this problem of uh, in the oceans that I didn't know about. Would you mind the next question really just focusing on the road ahead? What, what, what have you got planned for the next year to two years? Is there anything in the pipeline that you'd like to, to share with our listeners? We are currently uh, working on this spray application, so full force on this uh, challenge. We are optimistic that we solve this issue by end of July, latest September, and then uh, we are already negotiating uh, with with several partners, uh, potential pilot projects. So we are really looking forward to finally code a vessel this year or two and start our market entry as well that's so exciting and we'll keep abreast of uh, of your movements and make sure we share it with the world once uh, those pilots are scaling up and being enacted so yeah wishing you the best of luck with these final little challenges around the chemistry and the spray application and then away we go we love this question to to start up founders and and leaders around some key learnings or insights we we have so many people tuning into the podcast who are early in their journey and you know any of your little words of wisdom that you would like to share maybe specific <laughs> to the biofouling challenge or maybe specific to building a startup from scratch a hardware startup well yeah for the shipping industry it definitely it's not only the shipping i think it's everywhere it's network 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 <laughs> But especially the shipping industry is is very small. I mean, it's as we already had the uh, analogy with with digital startups. We don't have this big funnel, and we just reach out to a million people and hope that a few take us through. We really need to carefully address there. There's a few big shipping companies compared to an online market. So it's it's all about network and good relationships and uh, introductions. Uh, to to relevant people and and stakeholders, and uh, then I think uh, what we very quickly learned in our first accelerator was uh, better done than perfect. But both coming from academia, we we had a very focus on perfectionism before, and I had to leave that behind very fast. <laughs> it's still sometimes uh, where we have to. Yeah, focus and it's like, no, 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 it's enough. It's good. <laughs> Moving forward. It's a funny one. Yeah, we do have a lot of people pioneering that attitude, but we do also have some people, like a recent recording was another finalist from this year, Slurry Tub, who, you know, I guess he really wanted to make sure his his IP was protected and that he had a solution that really worked. And he spoke a lot about you know, holding back and making sure what you had 
was the final product before you took it out and and sought that investment or sought that gateway to to market but yeah it's always really interesting to hear everyone's insights from that particular question because they're diverse and they will each land differently with different founders uh, at their stages of their journey well i mean it's 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 definitely true i mean if you if you aim to patent something it may not be published before so you definitely have to be careful what you tell and what you not tell but uh, overall i would say if uh, if you want to get help and want to get help fast you need to be very open and talk with everyone and tell everyone where you're going it helps to get help on the way yeah i can just imagine the network one and the relationships one i mean as we've identified throughout this call there is just a ginormous industry that is very reluctant to change and you are going to require so many champions and believers and early adopters as you go through the the natural obstacles ahead so nothing is easier than great friends and allies by your side and advisors and all that intel that you can receive to to make sure the decisions that you make and the path that you take is is super well informed yes definitely okay well this has been yeah, wonderful conversation. And I'm just, I love this that there's people out there listening to this right now going, wow, there you go. I had no idea that biofoul was such a huge problem and that there is people like Christina and her team creating a solution to, to ultimately improve ocean health. So you're right in the ocean impact sweet spot. Was there some things you would like to to share on the podcast today that we haven't had the chance to get to yet? Is there some questions or some responses that you'd like to get to? Not spontaneously, no. It's been a very nice conversation. Yes, I agree. <laughs> and I'm always happy when I can yeah, tell somewhere about this problem because I think I mentioned it as well already. We do know too little about this problem overall as society. Well, I have a funny question and a bit of a curvy one. If I look at images and I think in my head about the way that cargo ships and giant vessels are painted, is there restrictions to the colour that you could potentially apply with uh, your clean ocean coatings? I mean, could that be a, a point of difference or a unique selling point if you could actually create some really engaging colours that also served a great purpose of preventing biofoul? I love that question. I'm actually already very much looking forward to test it out in reality because there's uh, research is unclear about this. There is the one research saying that dark colors attract more biofouling because the microorganisms recognize it as a surface when it's dark. And on the other hand, the other claim, ship owners and others claim that the dark surface is getting warmer, like the, the sunlight is is absorbed that there's not enough light for them to grow or something so there are there are two opinions about if a darker color is 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 whether helpful or or the opposite and we are very eager to figure that out in real life testing but i already asked if we can do this kind of test with one of our adopters and and partners that try out our coding <laughs> and he was like what? You want to change the color? So even changing the color might be a problem in the shipping industry. They all go with this red. And <laughs> uh, so far, when I when I teased this question, if you can use another color, it was as well as like, 
no, you're asking too much. <laughs> we cannot as well change the color. So it will be will be exciting. <laughs> yeah, best to keep that uh, that one in the drawer for a little longer. You don't want to have any barriers to, to adoption at this point in time. You mentioned before the other solutions that are out there, like this vibrating option. And is there any other biofoul prevention solutions that you're really excited about colleagues around the world that you think oh wow that's a really great novel way of solving the problem i am very happy about everyone who who is fighting with us this fight so um i know there's another canadian startup and i know that uh, canada is very active as well in in promoting all these startups Uh, they are using some graphene structure or whatever, I'm, I would be super excited to get to know them and, and what they are actually doing. So they as well develop a coding. And yeah, then there's many ultrasound companies. They are actually no startups. They are small enterprises because this solution really works and they are out there. And then uh, and then I do see more and more of these uh, robot companies um, looking for cleaning solutions like, yeah, Ecosapsy, Halbot, I um I forgot the names, but there are there are several and and for several applications as well. So um I do see that it is a good momentum right now for this problem because yeah, the shipping industry realizes without their beloved TBT, nothing really works as well and copper will be hopefully, as, and, but they do see it coming as well, will be restricted more and more as well because these big amounts of coppers do a very big damage as well. So they do see that more and more biocides are forbidden and that nothing really works. And then slowly these cleaning solutions come up. So I do see that we're getting to this system change. I think Australia is it's very far ahead with a new biofouling management regulations that you have to clean before you enter the harbor. I mean, I don't know how they can implement that new rules, but they are there and it's already good. They're protecting, you know, you're protecting your environment for the invasive species. So, and for this, you need a coating that can be cleaned and hard coatings can be cleaned. So yeah, we do need this system change. Yeah, it's, it's a matter of, of time. It will come and then we do see who's going to make it because yeah, it's, it, we still all need the long breath to get there. Yeah, I think um, Tom from Hullbot was saying recently that uh, yeah, New Zealand has also turned away a number of vessels recently that didn't meet the criteria for preventing that invasive species transport. So, yeah, look, I think even just a sign, Pitchfest 2022 had two biofoul startups in the in the top 10 so that's a sign of of uh, of a huge growth in the segment and we're excited to play our role in in raising awareness and supporting those startups that are trying to solve this wicked problem so yeah we look forward to following the journey with you over to you for any final words or any calls to action for people that have been listening in today what can they do or where can they follow you afterwards yeah, whoever is interested in, in, in piloting with us, shoot, shoot out. We're always very happy to collaborate. And uh, apart from that, thank, thank you very much for raising awareness uh, on all the ocean topics. And it was a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks so much, Christina. You enjoy your day. Thank you. you have a, I guess you have a good evening then. <laughs> 
Guys, we hope you enjoy this episode. Please leave us a bit of feedback. It really helps us out. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can leave us a review. On Spotify, you can let us know what you loved about the episode. And if you're watching on YouTube, feel free to drop us a comment or hit the like button. It means a lot.